With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York football giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, and you could directly interact with each of us on our own Twitter handles. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll get into a variety of different topics today. Obviously, we had rookie minicamp on Friday and Saturday, so we'll discuss some of our main takeaways and look ahead to the beginning of OTAs as the rookies will now be joining forces with the veterans over the next few weeks. But let's start with rookie minicamp, Paul, and not any major takeaways. We heard from a variety of the players as well as head coach Brian Dable. I want to start with Evan Neal because he did jump out to me. He actually was mentioning how it's a little interesting for him to slide back to right tackle because he hasn't played that for the last two years. He was at left tackle last season, and as a result, it was a matter of him being adjusted more so with his footwork, but he doesn't foresee that being an issue. And the other thing that I found interesting, and he's emphasized this multiple times since we've heard from him following being selected by the Giants, is feeling good about understanding the language of this offense because Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator for Alabama in 2017. And even though he is a few years removed, it seems as if Nick Saban, as he's brought in other offensive coordinators, they have still run a pro-style offense. So as a result, Evan Neal feels very comfortable that it's not a rude awakening and that he could fully adjust to this offense maybe sooner rather than later because Alabama models that pro style. So I found that very interesting, and it seems as if, Paul, he's continually echoed those sentiments as he has dressed reporters over the last few weeks. I would agree with that. I think Neil believes he's at least a half a step further along than maybe a rookie would be coming in stone cold. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that, that the Crimson Tide connection between him and Dable is very, very helpful. Uh, I do think that this entire rookie class, as we've seen them and, and gotten to meet them and speak to them now, uh, they seem much more comfortable I think, than, than many other rookie classes that I've seen when they first walk onto campus. Um, I don't know if that's a credit to the programs that they're coming from, the coaches that they had when they were in college, or maybe it's just their personalities. But I don't sense any of these guys having the deer in headlights looks, Lance. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think it's a combination of a variety of factors that you threw out there. And I also think the more and more we've talked about this over the years, with the level of competition on the collegiate level and the past happiness of football in general – 
I don't think it's as much of a rude awakening from a schematic standpoint, Paul, for college players. I think the big surprises, the speed of the game, I think if you ask most players, and maybe the level of athleticism that you're dealing with on a snap-to-snap basis. So if you're an offensive lineman, okay— Every single week, you're going up against elite edge rushers that you need to be prepared for. Or with respect to a cornerback or a safety, the wide receivers maybe one week in college are not as dazzling because you're not going up against a team that has that breakaway speed or whatever it may be. There are no off weeks or gimme games when it comes to the NFL. I think that's probably more of a transition than, well, you know, I don't recognize what exactly they're asking me to do in terms of the basics. I'm going to refer to something a little off base here, Lance, because it goes directly to what you just said a second ago. Where Darius Williams was a rookie last year out of Oklahoma State, and he tore his ACL in Week 5 against Dallas while he was covering Omani Cooper, and he was lost for the season. But as you recall, he had a really good training camp and a really flashy preseason. And he got some reps that first month before he got hurt. And the reason I bring him up is because I just did a sit-down with him. It's on the Giants huddle that just went up this morning. And, folks, I invite you to listen to it because he goes really in deep uh, to his psyche as he wants to come back and fully intends on coming back to compete for a corner spot. Uh, He fully has the confidence, not only that he'll be ready for training camp after that torn ACL uh, last October, but fully believes that he can win the job. But here's what I what I wanted to say, Lance, and it plays off of what you said a minute ago. He told me the biggest thing that he was able to take away with last year that he's going to change this season is that even though he was a finalist or a watch list member, I should say, for the Bednarik Award last year as one of the nation's best defensive players in the country, uh, he didn't get it, but he was a finalist for it. So he came out with very high credentials. He said that when he got here and he started to play the games that he played, he had five appearances for 50 total snaps. He said the thing that happened was that he was so excited, he was so intense, that the tempo of the game at the NFL level, combined with the enthusiasm, the energy, and the intensity that he threw on top of it, he agreed with me when I asked him, do you think that doubled the problem and made you too energized to where it became a detriment. And he said that's the top priority that he learned from last year. From that experience he gained, he realized that he's got the skill set to play in this league. He certainly has the confidence to play in this league. He said that he understands uh, the defensive you know, players better, even though it's going to be a different coordinator. He said, I have a better feel for the guys and the, and the unit. And he said, I now know that when I come back this year, I know that to dial it down because he was too effervescent. He was too bubbly. He was too excited, too energetic. Use the whatever adjective you like. He was he was overflowing. The pot on the stove was just bubbling. <laughs> OK, and he said that that was significant to him. He realized that was a detriment and it was and it was a mistake. And he said that cost him a lot. And he said, if you go back and you look at my tape last year, you will see that I'm, I'm just too excited and I'm too up. And so now one of the things he said to me was when he was in college, he never came off the field. Well, he said, here's the problem. You come to the NFL and now you're in a sub package. And he said one of the things that he had trouble dealing with was how do you keep your emotions in check when you're on the sideline? And now you're in the sub package. All of a sudden, it's third and eight, third and ten. got to go into the game. And he said, the guy you're playing against on the other side of the line of scrimmage is warmed up. His wheels are turning. He's hot. He's in a rhythm. And he's clicking on all cylinders. And you're not. Because let's say you're only going to play 12, 12 games, 12 snaps in that game. He said, so you go on the field. You're cold. He's hot. And he said, I had trouble kind of gauging that and, and and dealing with that. He said, so what I've learned now, he said, not only when I come back, do I have to dial down some of the energy so that he doesn't get erratic, 
But he said, I also have to learn how to keep an even keel from the time I'm on the sidelines to the time I get on the field to take snaps. So I said, well, maybe you just win the starting job and you won't have to come off the field. He's like, yeah, that's it. I said, I'll stay on the field and they won't be able to take me off. I think that whole conversation kind of deals with what you just talked about, the differences in jumping from the college game to the pro game and the mentality and the approach and the emotions that these guys go through while they face the new tempo of the NFL. Well, plus, I think something else that's related to what you're talking about, based on what Radarius was mentioning to you, is the fact that if you go from being a player that is an every-down starter to now somebody, to your point, Paul, who's playing limited snaps and you're also a rookie, what is the mindset usually for a player? I better make the most yeah. of every single one of my limited snaps, right? Because I want to prove to the coaches that they should keep me on the field more. So not only are you dealing with I'm not in rhythm compared to the offensive player I'm going against, but you're so overwhelmed to do something above the X's and O's, grab a turnover or strip the football or do something that may actually throw you off from a fundamental standpoint, and it winds up coming back to bite you. I think that's another aspect of probably what Radarius was alluding to, and really any player that goes from having a bulk of snaps to now nothing, your mindset is constantly, hey, if I only get 10 snaps, and let's say two of them are on special teams, every snap is being put under the magnifying glass because I have limited film. So I have to maximize every single one of these snaps, whereas a veteran player, right, who's playing maybe triple the amount of snaps that Radarius is, I'm not saying that they feel they could take a playoff or two, but I think they have more of the mindset that they're at ease because they know there's enough film over the course of a game that even if I slip up, I have ample time to make up for that. I think you're far more put under the microscope when you're a guy like Radarius, and I think that probably was also part of the transitional phase for him. Well, and that's why I'm really curious to see how well he does. He had said to me that when he was uh, in school at Oklahoma State, they were a blitz-happy team. He said Wink Martindale's defensive scheme fits him to a T. And, and he, first of all, he loves blitzing from the corner spot. That's something that he really wants to do. Uh, but he simply said it's such an attacking defense. He, he thinks he is going to fit like a glove. And, and to be honest, the trainers are keeping him off the field. He, he believes that he's ready to go. But, of course, at this point in time, he is still under rehab. Again, torn ACL um, back in October. So, you know, by most time frames, this would be superhuman to make it back sure. by now. He, of course, believes in himself that he's ready to go, has no doubt he'll be ready for training camp. And I think really what it, what it comes down to is this. Look, I'm a big Aaron Robinson guy, but I, I'll tell you something. Rodarius Williams showed us some stuff last summer, uh, you know, Lance, and I'm not saying that the Giants shouldn't bring a veteran in. I, I, I said last week Desmond Trufant would be a really good fit, in my opinion, to bring into the room, and I asked him about that too. Should you know What about this young corner group? And he goes, look, everybody is in the same boat. We're all pushing each other. We're all brothers, but it's also dog-eat-dog because there's a competition, and everybody in that room knows that they've got to put their best foot forward if they're going to get the snaps. And he believes now, coming into his second season, even after missing most of last year, he believes now that that experience is going to give him one up in this battle for getting reps at the corner spot. So we're just going to have to see. I found it to be a very fascinating interview with him because he was very effervescent, bubbly, and what a tremendous attitude for a guy who's missed so much time. He's like, I, he goes, I was here every day last year. He goes, I, you don't see me disappearing. He goes, I, I know you got to be here. And, and he's never left because he wanted to prove to this coaching staff that he's going to be a name to be reckoned with. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about that last comment is in the back of his mind, he's hanging around last season thinking that this coaching staff that he's continuing to prove himself is still going to be around, right? I mean, Radarius wasn't necessarily thinking that they were going to flip the switch. So he really now has had to all of a sudden prove himself all over again because now it's a new general manager and a new head coach. The guy that drafted Radarius Williams is not here anymore. Correct. So it's really a completely different mindset. I'm not saying that he was comfortable, but I'm sure a big part of him hanging around last year and being invested in the meeting room was, hey, I'm going to learn this system backwards and forwards so when I do come back, 
back in the spring. I'm going to have a step up. Well, now you throw that playbook out the window because Wink Martindale is now running things. I also think what also helps Radarius is he did have a brother. Well, I should say not did, not past tense, does have a brother Greedy. in the National Football League. Greedy. So there's always somebody you can lean on that has gone through some injuries here or there and understands what it's like to transition. So, you know, that I think is another valuable resource completely talk about unrelated. That. Yeah, yeah, he talked to about that too. Again, it, it's up on Giants Huddle. I don't want to I don't want to give away any more than that because you guys can click on it and I just think that it's important to him that he believes and he says people have always counted him out every everywhere that he went. He's like uh, I'll do it quietly, but I'll be in the battle. And the kid's got tremendous confidence. And it was just a thrill to to be able to see him in such a great mental state as he tries to attack this uh, this rehab and, and tries to come back and, and see if he can you know get into the mix. Well, one last point with respect to this conversation, which I think also branches out into obviously something that we have discussed at great length on this program, the battle for the cornerback job opposite of Dory Jackson. What it comes down to is if there is no established veteran in camp, which obviously is not the case right now, if I'm one of these young guys, and we talked about the bulk of them have been drafted between 2020 and 2022, so there's very limited experience, very limited resume. If I'm Radarius Williams, I'm loving this opportunity because you know that pretty much everyone is really on the same wavelength because, see, Radarius, we talked about, he suffered the torn ACL in October. And by the way, that means he's about seven months out from the injury, just to give you the mathematical perspective. But Aaron Robinson, Paul, Aaron Robinson missed half of last season with the core muscle injury. Yes, he did. So he also wasn't necessarily on the field 10 times more so than Radarius Williams. So if you're Radarius Williams, you're saying to yourself, it's not like Aaron Robinson put 10 times more film out there. And on top of that, it goes back to my initial point, which is Aaron Robinson was proving himself to a completely different coaching staff. So everybody pretty much goes back to the beginning of the line. That's another reason why I don't think necessarily anybody has a leg up. So if I'm Cordell Flott, I'm feeling great. We mentioned Rodarius Williams and Aaron Robinson, and even a guy, Jaron Williams, who was an undrafted player. He's another guy that got some opportunities on the field. I'm also feeling as if I don't have like 17 guys in front of me that I need to all of a sudden leapfrog if everyone at this point needs to prove themselves all over again. So I'm one of these young guys. I'm very energized by the opportunity on the surface, Paul. And sometimes you go into camp, even if you're a young guy, you're animated, you're looking forward to it. But I think realistically in the back of your mind, you know, okay, there's two to three veterans that have been in the NFL, have also been in this scheme. So realistically, I have to keep my expectations in check. I think if you're a young guy here, you're not really asking yourself to keep your expectations in check when all of the guys that are competing around you don't necessarily have a great advantage. And I think that should give any young guy right now on this roster a huge leap of faith that if they go out and they play consistently in camp and then get opportunities in the preseason, that it's not a stretch to say they could be within scratching distance and surface of actually winning a starting job this season. You just referred to the magic word that Tom Coughlin used to love opportunity. And that's really what it is for all of these guys right now. There are seven corners on the roster, and then there's the additional drafted corner in Flot. And those guys outside of uh, Dory Jackson, I believe I wrote down the other day, have 13 combined starts in the National Football League. Okay? So this door is wide open. The opportunity is knocking loudly. And, and the one good thing for Williams is that he is a six-foot corner, so he's tall with some length. He certainly is a very, very physical player. He's got some meat on his bones. He's not lanky at all. Uh, he, he gets after it. He's not afraid to hit people. He's not afraid to go after it. He's got the confidence. Uh, when he was in school... He played, again, he was a blitzer. He played press man coverage. He played in the slot. He played outside. And he was a special teamer, too, by the way. He showed a lot of versatility, Lance. Uh, These are all things that kind of make you feel like uh, Brian Dable and Wink Martindale will certainly give him a very good look. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? 
Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We take you up till 1 p.m. Eastern. Going over some takeaways from rookie minicamp, some of the position battles, obviously, that have come to light based on the status of the roster. We'll get into perhaps some other observations as we move forward. But in the meantime, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Abdul is in Minneapolis. He joins us here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Abdul? Hey guys, I'm I'm going back uh, a couple of weeks ago because I still can't believe that we draft that we got a uh, Evan Neal and, and and Thibodeau in the draft. Um, um, also, I can't believe the Jaguars picked Tavon Walker number one, which leads me to ask, how much weight do you guys put in uh, with the uh, the combine? Like when it when it comes to breaking down, you know, picking a, a draft pick, how much weight do you put on the combine? All right, I'll give you the old rule of thumb that I was given by some of the giant scouts decades ago. Uh, I think it still applies in many instances, although there's no doubt that some teams may not agree and other teams may have changed their mentality over the years. But the way that the Giants organization always approached the combine was this. A player will never lose any grade points off of his evaluation by what he does at the combine unless he he flunks out medically or unless his interview is a total bust okay you've got to really screw up for them to take any points off of your grade the rule of thumb was you could potentially raise yourself a half a point if if you did really really well at the combine excelled in all facets, and then they went back and double-checked and said, yeah, you know what, maybe we shorted this guy a little bit of a grade. That's the way this organization approached it for many, many years. I do not know how Joe Shane and company are doing business this year, but but sure. that was the tried-and-true method from the Giants of years ago. I look at it as it's a complimentary piece. I mean, that's really all it is. I'm not going to drastically change my belief in a player simply because he didn't run a 40-yard dash and blow me away or, you know, didn't necessarily unbelievably jump as high as I anticipated. Maybe it's a little bit of a red flag, and I perhaps look at that in comparison to some of the other guys I'm interested in, but I don't get overworked. I never have with respect to the combine because I've seen it time and time again where guys have blazing speed without their uniforms, and then you put the uniform on, and they're a completely different player. So there's only so much you could put into that. Now, you brought up Trayvon Walker. Clearly, Jacksonville, and this is where, obviously, it changes from team to team, there are some executives that are enamored with measurements because of players that they drafted in previous years. For example, Trent Baalke, who's the Jaguars' general manager, he was in San Francisco for many years. So I'm sure he probably saw Trayvon Walker's measurements. It reminded him of some guys maybe that they scouted or drafted in San Francisco, and they said, this is too good for us to pass up on. But considering the college production didn't match the measurements, you're still banking on potential. And when I have the number one overall pick, there's nothing wrong with believing in potential because that's what basically the draft is all about. But when you're picking number one, personally, the way that I look at it is, I want to have a little bit more substance on the bone with college production on the field to make me feel a little bit better. Here's one other thing I think you need to keep in mind, too. There are those teams, and from years ago, the Raiders were one of them with Al Davis, who put tremendous stock in the results from the testing at the Combine. And there are still some teams today who will weigh those numbers heavily, and they will make some draft decisions based on some combine results. Now, that's not the way I was taught, but there are organizations who will. And when you're entering a common draft where all 32 teams are lined up and they're picking guys, uh, there's no question that those handful of teams who view combine stats as a significant part of what they do there are going to be a lot of times where they're going to take guys maybe a little bit too early, or at least according to some pundits, 
because they weighed the dra- the uh, combine numbers much yeah. more than other people did. You got to be aware of it. I I was convinced that Traylon Walker going one was was a smoke screen. I thought, I was convinced, and when it happened, my jaw dropped and I smiled because. It fell right into the Giants, you know, mm-hmm. for the Giants. But Trayvon Walker reminded me a lot of Micah, Micah Parsons, right, from uh, the guy who's linebacker from Dallas. Uh, no one was sure if he could pass rush. That's why I think he went around 12, which makes sense. And luckily, the, the, the Dallas got lucky, and he was, you know, he you know he could pass rush, and he's good for them. But that's where Walker should have gone, like, you know, like, yeah, because also I think Micah Parsons had an incredible workout too in the in the combine, and I just I just can't believe the Jaguars did it. But you know what? Good for us. We are happy. Um, I, I haven't called you guys in a while, so I'm, I'm a little behind. Uh, I, I I just I I I was at the end of last season. I was so just dejected, and I just cannot wait for the season to start. And uh, that's about it, guys. Thank you. All right, well, appreciate the phone call, Abdul, and it goes back to. Listen, the jury is still going to be out for a number of years with respect to Trayvon Walker, but it's an example of, which is the main premise of this conversation, that how teams view players is going to vary from franchise to franchise because of the factors that they put on their ranking list in terms of what is important and also what Trayvon Walker, in the eyes of Mike Caldwell, their defensive coordinator, may bring to his scheme compared to what Trayvon Walker would bring to another team. And with respect to Micah Parsons, the difference between Parsons and Walker is, first of all, Parsons didn't have nearly as much of a resume in college because he didn't play one season in 2020. So that's one thing. And also, you know, Parsons, he had in one season just as many sacks as Trayvon Walker did. Parsons had five sacks in 2019 and Walker had six in 2021. So Parsons, for the limited resume, actually... Proved as much as Walker in terms of getting after the quarterback, but Parsons played a completely different position too. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know. I'm not saying that the caller was making that comparison, but I wouldn't even go based on the logic or the concern that teams may have had with Parsons because it's just a completely different player in how Parsons was utilized at Penn State versus what Walker did at Georgia. And here's the other thing. The talent Walker was surrounded with at Georgia in comparison to what Parsons had around him. Parsons, to me, had less than what Walker was working with. So that's more of a reason why I think you expected Walker to maybe capitalize a little bit more in terms of his college games. See, I'll give you a good example. The the caller was asking about, you know, how much do you weigh this thing? Well, this is why I remember when I was at the Combine a couple of years ago, and I was telling Schmelk, I said, look, Chase Claypool, oh, my God, this guy— Fourth round steal. Third round probably value, but fourth round steal. I would love to see the Giants get my, get their hands on this guy. I had been looking at him for months as a guy I really, really had uh, with a very bright blip on my radar. We go to the combine. Claypool absolutely lights it up. Runs a 4-4-2. Okay? I mean, just ridiculous. Has a great combine. And John starts laughing his butt off. Ah, you'll never get him now. <laughs> and he was right. The Steelers took him in the second round. Because what will happen is, with some franchises, and I don't exactly know, maybe the Steelers had him rated as a second-round pick anyway. Sure. I'm sure that some teams probably did. And other teams may not have. But then because they are so combine-heavy in their evaluations, you now have a guy who kicked butt at the combine, and there will be those teams that will move him up on their boards. And I, I, I knew right away. As soon as that happened, I said, they'll never get to the Giants. They're, uh, no way. There's no way he's going to get down that far to them. Somebody who loves combine numbers is going to make sure they get him really, really early. And the Steelers did. Well, and I think part of that mindset is also because you fear that other teams are thinking the same way you are. So that's more of a reason why you're going to take the player early than wait for him down the road. And in fairness, I mean, it's not like Claypool didn't have a college resume to go by in terms of production and so forth. So I don't think it necessarily was a reach. And I'm not saying you were going in that direction. But to me, it's a bigger concern or maybe more of a roll of the dice, Paul, that I want to say if you take a player 
simply because of the combine production. Sure. And then you look at the college resume, and there's just not much there. But if you have a really good college resume, meaning you've watched the film, you're content, the player did a lot in terms of what you're going to ask for him, and then the combine numbers supported that, then I don't really think it's as much of a stretch and there shouldn't be an overwhelming concern. I look at it when teams, they watch these athletes, and they're not in pads, and they're running around in their underwear and so forth, and... It, that sort of overshadows what they didn't do on the college level. That's where I just question mm-hmm. what exactly is the priority. Well, and that's why after a draft is concluded, um, you'll have to wait a couple of years, you know, two 100%. or three years to see yeah. what happens with the guy. And then you go through a very extensive evaluation. And your general manager and your personnel guy go through all their notes They go through those personnel files and they said, okay, this is the draft class we drafted three years ago. This is what we thought about the players that we picked. And this is what they were supposed to do. They didn't do X, Y, and Z. Okay, why? Was it a coaching problem? Was it a player problem? Did we misevaluate those guys as a staff when we took them? And and that self-evaluation is one of the very key things that a pro personnel department and even a college personnel department will do because they've got to figure out how to make sure if their scouting is busted that they got to get that right. They got to fix that because that's the first line of getting a player to maximize his potential to help your ball club. 100%. I'll give you another example before we move on here because I just find it interesting when you look at players in previous drafts and one of the callers brought up Micah Parsons. Well, his teammate, Adafe Owe, if you remember, okay, what were we talking about in his draft class? We were talking about the fact that he had no sacks in 2020. Mm-hmm. That The athleticism there, the length was there, but you're worried about, is this guy actually going to be a pass rusher? Even though he did have five sacks the previous season, but he had none in seven games in 2020. And then he goes to the Ravens, and he has a very productive rookie season last year where he actually had five sacks. So there's another example where maybe a team didn't see the college production but has a very set plan on how they're going to use the guy. And, oh, coincidentally, that was Wink Martindale, who was his defensive coordinator, and kudos to Wink, tapped into something and got him to actually consistently get after the quarterback. So if you've got a good coaching staff in place and – They tell you, hey, guys, I know the college film doesn't show you, but I'm going to do A, B, C, and D with the player. And sometimes also that influences a front office to take the player because the coaching staff has so much conviction with that talent. And that's the other thing that I don't think we mentioned, which to me also can balance the scales all of a sudden in favor of the team taking the play. Well, before we get to our next caller, I'm simply going to give you another sleeper who comes right out of the mold that you're talking about. Ellerson Smith. Don't sleep on Ellerson Smith. The measurables were scary. Uh, a, a freak of a skill set who played at a much lower level, had to take the COVID year off, had to deal with the injured reserve list last season, Wink Martindale now has a chance to work with this guy as he steps into that D.C. role. I am very, very intrigued about what he does with Ellison Smith. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. For this one, call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. We continue to move along here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. Jason is in New Haven joining us here on Giants.com. What's happening, Jason? Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Yeah, good. Thanks for taking my call. I'll try to make it quick because I have like four points, but I'll try to make it quick if you want to wait to you know interject during. It's fine because uh, I know you got other callers. So the first point I wanted to make, um, I really do think it's Aaron Robinson's job to lose as far as the corner. I'm a big fan of his. Just watching some of his film last year, the way he presses these receivers at the line. Um, he was able to stay with some pretty good receivers. 
Um, so I, I do think it's his job to lose now. Of course, there's going to be competition in camp. They may bring a vet in. But I do like him across from Adoree, so I'm actually going to be looking at the training camp with him in preseason to see, you know, how he's coming along. Um, I like him, too, point. and I agree with you. Yeah. I think he goes into the gate as the guy with a foot ahead of other guys. But remember, he's also versatile enough to play slot, and we saw him do some of that last year. Is it yeah. unthinkable if they don't bring in anybody else or even if they do bring in an insurance policy that maybe Robinson and Williams both wind up winning a job and maybe they beat out Darnay Holmes? I don't know. Right. But could Darnay Holmes wind up, you know, getting edged out by by these two young guys? I, anything's possible. And Cordell Flat right. too. Let's not forget sure. about him. He sure. has an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Um, second point. I'll try to go uh, rapid fire. I think we have our four safeties on the on save the second. I think we do have our four safeties on the roster. Um, like I said, if they want to bring in a vet, but. I'm really interested in Belton and Corker. I know Corker was an undrafted free agent, um, but I do think he's going to make our roster as that box safety hybrid linebacker, um, and I think he's a movable piece. Um, the third part with the offense, I know a lot of fans have been complaining, uh, were complaining about the Wondell Robinson pick, um, but I'm sure you guys know in the 80s, um, when the, when Marina and the Dolphins are really on fire, they had two small receivers that they was playing at the same time. Uh, Dupree, Dupree, was it Dupree and Clayton, if I'm not mistaken? I forgot their names. but The Marx those, Brothers. Those were, the Marx yep, Brothers, yep. Duper and Clayton. Yep, they were both, I think, 5'10", five, 5'9". Five, so um, I think with, um, with, with Dable, and this is my opinion with Dable and Kafka, from what I can see, just looking how they drafting and picking some of the uh, free agents, I think um, they're going to have a spread them out horizontal offense. That's just my opinion. That features a lot of like yards after catch and run after the catch. And having Tony Robinson, to me, feeds into that kind of offense, in my opinion. Um, and then the last point, I'll take it off the ear. Just off projection, I know you guys don't like doing hypotheticals, So, um, but if you could just you know give me one hypothetical. This is just based off projection. I know there's other teams that have done it for a longer time. We run that three four, so we'll have. I'm assuming Thibodeau. Um, uh, what's the, what's the pass rush we took last year? Ojolari, um, you talk about Ojolari, Dexter Lawrence, Justin Ellis, and um, Leonard Williams. That five I'm looking at as far as our front line def- defensive starters out of the base. Where would you guys? And I know it's hard to say because they haven't played together, so I, I do get it. But just based off projection, how you think they'll be used? Where do you see that that front line? Um, I'm not going to say we're going to be top five, but I think that's a very athletic, big, strong front line. If you include the two edge rushers, Thibodeau, and um, and uh, yeah, the gentleman from Georgia. So yeah, I just want to see what you guys thought about yeah. those points, and uh, I'll take it off there. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call. Uh, a lot that obviously he threw out there. <laughs> so we want to quickly piggyback off of a few points. Uh, the first one that I just want to further expand on is he was mentioning Yusuf Corker, who is one of the undrafted free agent rookies that they brought in, teammate of Wondell Robinson, actually out of Kentucky, who led the team in passes defense and was the team captain for Kentucky each of the last two seasons. You know, not a big interception opportunistic guy, but certainly somebody that they use down near the line of scrimmage and has some versatility. And, you know, we've been asked on multiple shows about, you know, do the Giants need to add a veteran safety. I know we got a lot into Paul, the cornerbacks, but you've got McKinney, who clearly has versatility. Dane Belton is another guy they just brought in. He's versatile. I just talked about Corker and Julian Love. So, yeah, if you want to bring in a veteran, I don't think it's a crime, but once again, I think you have enough to mix and match there that it's not detrimental to the team, or I should say the cornerbacks and the safeties, that if you bring in a veteran from a mentorship perspective because a lot of those guys are young I don't think that's going to hurt them but similar to the cornerback situation I'm not bringing in a guy to leapfrog them and take snaps away when you want to still develop these players yeah I think we're on the same page with the safeties I'll go right to Robinson because his second point is very interesting Uh, because I had a chance to be at the rookie camps and was here at the OTAs today it's very clear that Wondell Robinson despite his diminutive stature has some beef on his bones This is a guy who played a lot of traditional running back his first two years at Nebraska. He's tough. He's physical. He's got a big heart. He's got gumption and determination. He's a football player. 
Okay, he is not a frail, small, tiny piece on a chessboard. Uh, let's make that very, very clear. And so he's really kind of like what would be uh, somebody on Twitter even said to me, you think he's a lot like David Meggett, who was a, a scat back and a third down back and a kick returner for the Giants, obviously an all pro and won Super Bowl with them. Uh, I, I could understand that comparison. He's not quite as strong, I don't think, as Meggett, uh, probably a little bit less thick but he's certainly a lot thicker than you think he is when you actually see him on the field. And his quicks and his jukes, uh, trust me, when you see that in person, you are impressed. Joe Shane, just the other day, I believe he told Bob Papa that uh, when they clocked him, they had him at a 4.39 or 4.37 when they they worked him out. Uh, This guy has much, much heralded quicks. And could be very dangerous. I agree that if you put him and Tony on the field at the same time, you're going to give headaches to a secondary because the jukeability of those two players is really cool. Uh, yak yardage will be very important to this scheme and this offense. Let me make that very clear. The call is also right about that. Well, I mean, the bottom line is all you need to do is just watch Bills and Chiefs games. I mean, exactly. clearly they leaned heavily on that. So I don't think that's a surprising development. And I'm kind of surprised that the last caller went all the way back to Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> no, and the reason I say that is, hold on a minute here, okay? Buffalo last season had Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley in the lineup. Both of those guys are listed at 5'8", Paul. Okay, yeah. the Chiefs had Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman. Yeah. Both of those guys are 5'10". Mm-hmm. This... Belief that no other team in recent history has employed small stature wide receivers is comical when all you need to do is look at rosters around the league. I just named two teams whose coordinators are now part of the Giants. You don't have to go back to the 80s. Today's NFL, if they could get you out in open space and they believe you're fast enough, they're going to scheme accordingly. So it's not unheard of what the Giants have on their roster. This idea that you need towers three or four of them and then will allow you one spot on your roster for a guy that's in that 5'8 to 5'11 territory is fictional given what we see across the NFL. Now, the last point real quickly was about pass rushers and the front and perhaps how we see this group. I think it was more from a production standpoint, Paul, about, you know, the upside of this group. Well, here's the thing. What did we talk about last offseason? Dalvin Tomlinson was removed and I had mentioned... Don't assume that the rushing defense is going to be exactly where it was, even though Dalvin's not in there. And it did impact them. So let's see how this rushing defense operates. To me, that's going to be a big indication, Paul, Mm -hmm. if you want to start projecting what Thibodeau and Ojolari can do from a sack perspective. It still comes down to what are the Giants going to do to consistently stop the run? Because we saw that impacted the ability to get after the quarterback last season. I would warn the the caller not to get any preconceived notions about who's going to be up front and who's going to be doing what. Because with Wink Martindale's scheme – He is so multiple up in the front seven. That's where he likes to play with his Rubik's Cube. You are going to see the Giants in a number of different formations at each snap. You'll see no down linemen. You'll see one guy with his hand in the dirt, two guys, three guys, four guys. Sometimes it'll be the same guy. Sometimes it'll be a different guy. Trust me, it's it's almost criminal to call him a 3-4 guy. Because his front, it's an amoeba. It's that amoeba defense that the Ravens have been running now for many, many years. That's what Wink Martindale specializes in. So don't get caught up in how many down linemen they have. It's about their front. It's not about their defensive line or their linebackers. Call it the Giants front because that's what it is. And it's going to be a mixture and a variable formation that you will see non-non-stop. Understand that. I think the only guy who may be down on the ground every time he's in the game is Dexter Lawrence. I don't necessarily think he's going to be in a stand-up formation. Other than that, every single other one of those guys in the front, well, of course, Ellis, too, from the sure. Ravens, he, he, again, he's, he's, he's a plugger. He's not he, he that that guy. If he's in the game, I don't think he's going to be standing up either. But all those other guys we talked about, whether they're backers or whether they're defensive linemen by trade, you will see them up and down, left and right, inside, outside. 
Don't try following them because you're going to get dizzy. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Well, the guy that, if you want to look at a means of comparison, the guy that I found extremely valuable was in the Ravens' defense was Calais Campbell. Mm -hmm. So whoever assumes that type of a role, to me, that's the player to watch because Campbell had the versatility to stop the run and get after the quarterback from the interior. Leonard Williams. Correct. So if Leonard, if he is going to assume that role, and once again, we still need to see a little bit more tangible evidence on the field, then I would point all my fingers towards that's the guy that's going to stir the pot here and see whether or not everybody else can feed off of them. Because if you go back once again to Baltimore and you were to ask me, and I know a lot of people talk about the importance of the cover corners, and I'm not disputing that, but up front, since that was the question, Calais Campbell, that was the X factor for me within that Baltimore front seven. And, you know, the other thing is they bring in Thibodeau, and this is why, you know, I was so gung-ho that if he's there, you've got to take him because he is an up, down, left, right, can go inside, can go outside. There's nothing you can't do with him. The more guys you have who can command respect in various roles, the more headaches you give the offense. 100%. We move along here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live, Monday's edition, as we have been focusing on some takeaways from rookie minicamp and still exploring how the draft picks fit into this roster. Let's head back at 201-939-4513. Cliff is in New York, and he joins us now. What's happening, Cliff? Hello, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Great stuff on the defense. It's been my concern for many months that – as long as we don't go any further backwards on defense, I'm feeling pretty good about going into the season, and I don't see any reason why, why we can't be uh, at least as good as we were last year on defense. Um, I wonder, uh, I was feeling good about uh, Williams and um, Robinson last year as corners already. I thought I saw a lot. By the way, I also saw Ellerson Smith on my screen a couple of times, and he, he looked pretty good both on defense and specials. But anyway, as far as the corners go, um, I, I was thinking, um, aren't those guys, those two guys that we have now, each with a half-year experience, didn't those guys stack up pretty good against anybody who was available in this last draft, maybe even with the, just the possible exception of the two guys that were taken in the top five? Well, you have to understand, too, where Darius Williams is coming off of a toward ACL. Now, he has tremendous confidence in his rehab and believes he's pretty much as good as new and is going to be ready to go, but... You know, until he's able to actually do that on the field, do you know that he can pick up exactly where he left off? Now, mentally, I don't think there's any doubt the experience has made him a better player. But now, physically, he has to answer some questions. I mean, we'd all have to admit that because, again, as Lance said, it is a new coaching staff other than Jerome Henderson, who I also addressed the fact that at least he is is back and his secondary coach is still in the building. Okay. Well, um, what I was reaching for was, um, you know, we, we've had these two categories to refer to a position as either a hole or thin. And I was wondering if maybe we need another word for the cornerback right now, because it sounds like it doesn't really sound like a hole to me. And it bothers me that Joe Shane said that if he, that if he lost Bradbury, which he obviously did, that that would be a hole. It doesn't seem like there's a hole there with these guys there. And I'm not sure how thin it is either. Well, I mean, the bottom line is it's interesting that you say there isn't a hole and maybe you're trying to argue there isn't question marks. I mean, based on what Paul just said and we've been discussing, Cliff, if you're removing a seasoned veteran like James Bradbury, if I was to have a conversation with you about James Bradbury, you have evidence that you could point to about how the guy plays. Radarius Williams tore his ACL in October. Aaron Robinson played half a season. And both of them, as we just well established, were in different schemes. So how, with confidence, can you argue that there's not question marks comparison to James Bradbury when you really don't know much about either of these guys based on their NFL experience. 
I just saw them on I saw them on the screen last year. They looked pretty good when I saw them. They were they weren't getting beat. They were with their guys. Um, okay, but in, in fairness, though, in fairness, they are going to be asked to do different things within this scheme. You do understand that. That was what Patrick Graham asked them to do. That's not necessarily what Wink is going to ask them to do. The, the only thing, uh, let me try to, to help the caller a little bit here, Lance. Here's what I agree with you about, because I happen to like the skill sets of both players. I'm with you. I think they have potential, and I think they could certainly be a big help to this team. I'm not sure exactly what the upside is, but I think it's there on both players. But that's exactly the point that Lance is trying to make to you. James Bradbury is a sure thing. This is a guy who two years ago made the Pro Bowl. You know, he, you know what you have when you put him out on the field. You're not going to sweat bullets. You're not going to worry. With these two youngsters, you got to have some trepidation. Now, the good news is because of their toolboxes, you can put them out there and say, well, there's potential, there's hope, I think I've seen some flashes, I think they might be able to do the job, and that's a lot better than, well, let's say years ago, remember when the Giants had a corner named Wayne Haddix? Okay? <laughs> I when, think so. Okay, when you know, you know the guys in that room are simply not good enough and there yes. is no upside? Yes. That, that's the difference here. I think we're splitting hairs here. The room is not void of any tools, skills, or talent. There are tools, skills, and talent in that room. We just don't know what will result of it. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I'm also glad to see, uh, I think the defensive line, which obviously relates to how the corners are going to do, seems like it's okay. I've grown accustomed to Kayvon as a defensive end. And that was really what was missing because uh, it, it was nice to see Dexter Lawrence in the middle. And even though it was fun to see him play, you know, playing defensive end because he's athletic enough, it didn't really seem like he belonged there. And now you're telling me to my satisfaction that, you know, the way Martindale is going to run things, uh, it's going to be hard to keep track of things the way I'm used to keeping track. And I don't care as long as we stop people, you know. It's, it, it, uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, you don't get – you don't get brownie points, Cliff, for how creative you are in terms of lining up. It's all about execution. All I'm That's pointing right. out is, is that there are some question marks, it's fair to say, when you don't have proven talent, meaning you don't have guys that have been out there and done that. That was my main point. And also, when you said, you know, I don't think the defense will take much of a step back, that's fine. You're entitled to feel that way, but just understand it is a different scheme. See, if this is Patrick Graham year three, I think we're having a little bit more of a different conversation Uh because there's continuity. There's no continuity here because the players are going to be asked to do different things that Graham didn't put them in. That's my point. And I think we may have lost Cliff there. I but think we lost him. The phone call. Well, we, it was perfect because we actually, I think, got to the completion of the point. I think anyway. we did. So, and, yes. and you know, Lance, it, it's going to be very, very, very easy for offensive players to spot Thibodeau because it has been decades, and I mean multiple decades, since the Giants had a number five playing on defense. In fact, it was Bill Petrillis back in 1944, a defensive back who wore five in a regular season game. that That's the last time that that's happened with a Giants defensive player. So trust me, when uh, the linemen break the huddle and the quarterback comes up to, the, to, to take the snap, he'll know where number five is. He'll find him. Yes, well, something tells me when they study film, I think they'll notice him too, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> overlooking him. And of course, that's because the new rules have provided flexibility with what positions and numbers are synonymous with one another. It used to be much more stringent sure. in terms of what you could wear. Now, you don't have to worry about that. All right, let's head back to the lines. Dave is in Connecticut, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dave? Hi, guys. Good to talk to you again. Hi. Hey, um I was wondering what you thought about. Uh, I've noticed over the last quite a few years now that the Giants seem to be uh, uh, drafting their linebackers um, later in the draft. I'm not talking about edge rushers, but I mean, um, other than that. Um, and of course, the Giants got a, uh, a fifth round and a uh, sixth round linebacker this year. Um, is that. Have you seen that as being a trend um, throughout the league, or is that something that was just more of the Giants' um, trend? What do you think? Well, I think it matters in terms of what's the grade on the player. 
I mean, if they felt that there was a, a linebacker inside, weak side, strong side, who was worthy of a first, second, or third round pick when they were on the clock, perhaps they would have taken him. I mean, I, I, yeah. I just think it's that simple, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I understand your question, though, just for clarification. You're referring to an interior linebacker, why those guys haven't been taken high. Is that accurate, Dave? Yeah, uh, that's definitely um, – I've noticed that uh, more than the outside linebackers where the inside linebackers are, are being drafted, like, sort of like what's happened with the quarterbacks. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, not the quarterbacks, running backs being um, drafted later because of oversaturation, let's say, if, if there's uh, so many linebackers out there that uh, you can wait and still hopefully get a good one. Well, I think oh, – well, go ahead, Paul. Well, you want to uh, no, no yeah. I think the the only thing I would add real quickly is that with all the sub packages and all the speed and the emphasis on the passing game today, you know, kind of like the fullback became a dinosaur, in a lot of ways your run-stopping inside linebacker of the past has become a dinosaur because he's on the field for so yeah. few snaps. And that's exactly what I was going to add. I, I was exactly going to go there. No, it's fine. You took the words pretty much out of my mouth. I, I think the answer to the question is if you're a team – and you're going to have a first or a second round pick, Dave, and you're going to take a player, as Paul just mentioned, who you're not going to keep on the field for three downs, and maybe you don't even keep him on the field for two downs, are you really getting great value out of that? I think you're going to take a linebacker who probably has some pass rushing ability in his skill set so that you don't have to remove him from the field. So, for example, you look at the linebackers that were taken last year, in the first round, because I don't want to go with this year since we haven't seen any play. Micah Parsons was a first-round pick. Okay, look what he did in terms of getting after the quarterback. And then Zaven Collins was another guy taken who also, you know, had some flexibility. So those are the types of players that teams are going to take high because they think that they have the appeal of getting after the quarterback. You're not going to take just the guy that's going to be there for first and second down. You could grab somebody like that in the later rounds. It's just – it's not – Great value. You're not getting good bang for your buck, essentially, in the draft. Um, I, I noticed uh, Michael. I'm Micah McFadden. Uh, I looked at his highlight reels, and boy, he he is fits what you're saying right there as far as um, being a uh, a pass rusher and um, and shooting gaps and and trying to get some um, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. He looked really impressive to me. Well, the Giants feel the same way about Beavers who they got in the sixth round. But both of these guys uh, have some significant ability to fill gaps and play downhill. You know, we talk about downhill running backs who lower their shoulder and they wind up just plowing themselves through seams in between the tackles. These two guys are downhill linebackers. They charge the line of scrimmage. They're best at when they're coming downhill and attacking the line whether it's a seam, a gap, or even beavers off the edge. That's what they're best at doing, whether it's against the run or trying to blitz. And with McFadden, speaking of the blitz, I actually I recently spoke to Tom Allen, his Indiana coach. It'll be up as a future Giants huddle podcast. And, you know, he talked about how they blitzed him a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that was appealing to the Giants, knowing that Wink is going to blitz guys. Well, we already have a guy that comes from a scheme where they asked him to get after the quarterback. He produced because he had 12 and a half sacks in the last two seasons. So the transition shouldn't be that overwhelming. So that's another reason why certain teams value certain players, because you're asking them to do things that they were similarly asked to do at the collegiate level. That's what it comes back to. I'll give you an example, Lance, and I know we got to let the caller go, so thanks yeah. for dialing us up today. Pepper Johnson was an inside linebacker for the Giants who had tremendous athleticism, and they would send him, you know, through the A-gap and through the B-gap. Pepper wasn't just sitting back, you know, in the Giants' scheme and, and waiting for things to happen. No, Pepper Johnson was was sent on blitzes on a number of occasions through the tackle in between the tackles. And that's the kind of player that we're talking about. Well, and that's why it goes back to 
how a team views a player through their lens. There may be a guy that wasn't asked to blitz, but once again, they see the skill set and they're like, hey, we think he's a good fit. And then there's other teams that say, hey, I have to see it in college in order to be a believer. So it's going to vary from team to team. That's why the statistic I continue to throw out, it's interesting you brought up Pepper Johnson. The last time the Giants took a linebacker in the first round was Carl Banks in 1984, right? right? How many times have we talked about that? And Mm -hmm. by the way, I don't want to go off to a whole tangent, but I know some people have disputed the fact that Thibodeau ended that drought. I disagree because I go, Paul, I don't know where you stand. He's a defensive end. Correct. I go by what you played in college. Now, Thibodeau could play a little bit linebacker for the Giants, but to me, that rule, that trend is based on what you were asked to do in college. He was a defensive end at Oregon, so therefore he does not end the drought because he was not a linebacker. Regardless of what you play in the NFL level, I go by the position you played in college. That, to me, is my indication. And believe me, Lance, okay, he will play defensive end for the Giants. Whether his hand's in the dirt or he's standing up as a defensive end, he is a defensive end. Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's just I wanted to throw that out only because you reminded me when you brought up Pepper Johnson. And (laughs) obviously that's Carl Banks' error and so forth. So it got me thinking from that standpoint. But it goes back to most teams, once again, they don't keep their interior linebackers on the field for all three downs unless, Paul, one of them is a really good cover guy. You know, that's the other thing. We were talking about. Yeah. Now, we were talking about it more through the lens of getting after the quarterback, but I want to further this discussion by saying he may be an appealing linebacker who he could also put on a tight end. So, therefore, you're going to keep him on the field on third down. Luke Keekley is another guy, right, mm-hmm. that comes to mind. Luke Keekley, sure. who recently retired from the Panthers, he was excellent in terms of coverage. They wouldn't take him off the field. So Luke Keekley, if you want to use a high pick, I've got no problem with that. So that's the other element I think that's in play. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the inside backer and the value of that guy, if he is a tackling machine who can attack the line of scrimmage and get tackles for minus two or zero or only plus one yards, it's, you know, I remember when Carlton Bailey was here after the Giants signed him as a free agent from the Buffalo Bills. And Bailey would constantly rack up big tackle numbers, but they were four and five yards downfield after the the running back had already gained positive yardage. That's not the deal with Martinez. Martinez fills gaps. He fills holes. Like Harry Carson used to fill gaps and fill holes. Of course, Harry's a Hall of Famer. Blake Martinez is not a Hall of Fame linebacker, so I don't want to get them lost in a comparison. But the point of your inside linebacker can be extremely valuable if he's a tackling machine. If you have a defensive front that is going to occupy as many as two separate double teams, well, then that means your linebacker is going to be clean on the inside. And he's got to be able to shoot gaps and get into those holes to stuff those running backs before they gain positive yardage. And, and, and that's where the value comes in. If that running back, uh, the, uh, the uh, linebacker, is not an interior downhill linebacker who can make those stops, well, then what have you done? You know, yeah. you've, you've got this formidable front. A couple of guys are getting doubled. Okay, so that means there's going to be creases for your defense to penetrate and to cause havoc. And if you don't do that because your inside linebacker is sitting back, what have you done to yourself, Lance? Yeah. Well, and the other aspect is you talked about needing to stop the running backs, also needing to beat the running backs if it's pass protection. Sure. If you have a favorable matchup, right, as an interior linebacker, and you mentioned, Paul, it's a clear path to the quarterback, then I would expect you get matched up with a running back. You have a legitimate shot to beat him as opposed to an offensive lineman, and maybe not only can you get a tackle for a loss, but maybe you could sack the quarterback. So that, to me, is also in play that you want to see Mm -hmm. out of your interior guy. I agree. So all of those things are movable parts, but facets of a skill set that clearly teams are going to take into consideration when they determine whether or not it warrants selecting somebody that played that position relatively high in the draft. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are back up and running again on Tuesday at noon Eastern as we will continue the conversation with respect to this rookie class and look ahead to OTAs. We appreciate everybody tuning in as today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest and we will speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. 
From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.